Hey, thanks for joining us for this series called We Are, where we're talking all about the church. And it's important we get this right because so many people get it wrong. But we, when we understand the church God's way, it's a powerful difference and we're a part of the most powerful movement in history. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you as we continue our study in Acts. We hope that you'll continue to join us as we talk all about who we are in Christ. Before you go, don't forget to fill out your online connection card. You can do that at branchlife.church anytime and let us know that you uh, worship with us in this video. We'd also like to encourage you to check out the other episodes on our website or on our YouTube channel. And again, you can check in anytime with that connection card. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this will be a powerful moment in your spiritual journey. We're in this section in the book of Acts as we travel through Acts together, uh, where the church explodes onto the scene. Nothing like the church has ever existed before, and nothing will ever exist like it again. And it's unique to our age and our time and our generation. And when the Holy Spirit descended after Jesus ascended, the church of God was born. And religion, as it was known, exploded into millions of pieces. It started with a dozen to 120 to over 3,000 people who are now starting this thing called the church. I just shared with you our Branch Life mini vision, right? Oh, if God could do something like that. God's done so more than that over time. Like this, this, this small group of 3,000 people has changed the world, right? Like the church is in every town and in every country. I, there's a church in California that had a dream about 20 years ago. Their vision, bigger than ours, one new church, body of believers in every country of the world. That was their vision. And guess what? They did it. In the power of God. And that's been multiplied over and over and over and over again. When we look at the beginning of something, let's look and see what has made it last. You see, our dream as a, as a church is not to kind of be a little flash in the pan. Our dream is to build a church that lasts. And when we look in Acts chapter 2, we see four obsessions and four marks of a church that lasts. And we're going over these real slowly. We're not moving very far in our journals today. We are going to the next word, right? And so sorry again, right? Really small on your other sections. And when we get to like two weeks down the road, we're going to push on the gas and we're going to push through a couple of chapters here before we get to Thanksgiving. But we're pausing because this is so important. If we want to be a church that lasts, if we want to be Christians that last, if we want to have uh, uh, to be branches that last for Jesus, we need to see what these four obsessions are and what these four marks are. I just participated in the wedding of Aaron and Anna Wildonger. They got married two weekends ago. Gorgeous day. Incredible opportunity. Like, I, I do these wedding things a lot, and so I get to see like what typically happens at the beginning of a family. And on the wedding day, the guys are all in their tuxes, just kind of loafing around, right, as they're waiting for the ceremony. They're making jokes, they're playing pool, and most of the time the groomsmen have nothing to do, so they send them out to be ushers, to usher in all the family, right? And they just punch each other on the shoulder and say stupid things. If you go to the girls' place where they're getting that, totally different, like totally, it's hair and makeup and outfits and giggling and all of that stuff that's happening, and they're all gooing and gawing over the bride, and she's beautiful, and she's got this dress, and everything's got to be in the right place, and they're all excited and nervous and getting ready to walk out and kind of do their things, and they're, they're together sharing in this moment, 
prepping this bride, and neither the grooms or the groomsmen, the brides or the bridesmaids, are thinking, I hope they end in divorce. This is not how it works. When you get married, what's the plan? I want this marriage to last. I want it to last. And so marriages that last have some, op- have some obsessions, and they have some marks, right? And so healthy marriages, couples do healthy things, like love and respect each other, like forgive each other, like pray together, like all kinds of things that become super important to make it marriage. And then what they have is they have, they have, they have uh, marks that, that kind of define them, and they, they enjoy each other's company. They're kind of happier, right? <laughs> They're a little more cheerful. They're able to assist other people. They have a healthy home environment, right? Because they had these obsessions, they now have these marks. What were the obsessions of the early church that has gone on to change the world and is the reason you and I are here today? What were they so obsessed with? Well, that's why we pause in Acts chapter 242, because we see that they devoted, they became obsessed with, that's the word devotion, they devoted themselves to the, number one, apostles' teaching. We talked about that last week. Go check it out online. The apostles' teaching is the word of God, right? They, they, they obsessed over truth. And they realized that truth had to be given. It can be found. God has to give you the truth because he is the truth. We can't find it within us. There was a big conversation we had last week. They obsessed with the fellowship. We're going to talk about that today. They obsessed with the breaking of bread next week and the prayers. These four obsessions then caused them to have some incredible marks like glad and generous hearts, like favor with all people, like praising God, like multiplication. You do these things, you not only do these things, you're obsessed with these things, and it's going to transform your Christian life. You're going to be a Christian that lasts. You're going to be a branch that lasts, not one that's pruned. If we do these as a church, we're going to be a church that lasts. But remember, it's not a prescription. Follow this script, and you'll have this result. It is a result of receiving the Holy Spirit. If you are walking in the Spirit, you will be obsessed with these things. If you are not obsessed with these things, check your spirit. And then become obsessed through the power of the Spirit with these things. Now, we're talking about fellowship today, so here's the question. Why were 3,000 new Christians all of a sudden obsessed with fellowship? Remember this question? Why were they all of a sudden obsessed with with fellowship. And let me sum it up this way. And this is what we've learned. This is what we see. This is what we understand. Last week, we learned that you cannot survive without the Word of God. This week, we learned that you will not thrive without fellowship. We can't survive without the Bible. We cannot thrive without each other. Fellowship is the fuel in our engine. When we have each other, we thrive. Now, fellowship, I believe, is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. If I was going to make a top 10 list of the most misunderstood words in the Bible, fellowship would absolutely be in the top five. Some of the other words that would be misunderstood are like kingdom of God. People don't understand. Baptism. People don't understand baptism. Uh, Gospel gets misunderstood. Hell gets misunderstood, right? There's words that we use as Christians that just 
kind of have lost their meaning, their true meaning over time. And, and probably fellowship might be up there, one or two or three, as one of those words that we really rarely get right. If you want to know what my number one word that's used incorrectly in the Bible is, it's the word church. We, most people don't get that God's way. But fellowship God's way, equally watered down. You see, when you misunderstand something, you misuse it. And so today, we want to clear this up. What is fellowship? Why do we need it? And how do we do it? And let me give you a short answer. It's not chit-chat and small talk over a potluck. That's not fellowship. It doesn't happen automatically when you walk into the fellowship hall, right? Or the fellowship community church of the brethren in our neighborhood for, for whatever, whatever, right? Just because you slap the title on something doesn't mean that fellowship actually starts happening. Maybe the danger is we started to water it down and we don't actually even know what fellowship is. And so fellowship as a word, if you kind of take the synonyms that, the, that, that this word is translated at other places in scripture, you begin to get a fuller understanding. So in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the word for fellowship that's in this verse is this word called koinonia. I don't often like bring out the Greek stuff because it kind of sounds hoity-toity and smarty-pantsy. But, but this is a word that other people have heard quite a bit, koinonia. And this word becomes very misunderstood because of the different translations or the way that we use it. Koinonia, when it appears in scripture, appears in other forms. And here's some of the other forms, right? It's translated fellowship and it's translated fellowship often. But it's also translated as partnership. Well, that, that deepens things, doesn't it? Chit-chat and small talk doesn't equal partnership. What if this husband and, and bride, who were uh, groom and bride, were getting married, and all they had ever done before their wedding was small talk and chit-chat? You think they're ready to be partners? N no, no. No, no, <laughs> we need to talk about money, we need to talk about kids, we need to talk about religion, we need to talk about home, God in the home, we need to talk about work, we need to talk about hopes, we need to talk about dreams, we need to talk about struggles, we need to talk about strengths, we need to talk about weaknesses, we need to talk about victories and how we responded to them, hard times and how we got through them, that, that now we're able to be partners because we understand and we agree on these things, we're moving forward on these things. All of a sudden, there's a deeper understanding of the word fellowship. It's also translated as participation. You are not in fellowship if you are just watching from the sidelines. I love, love, love you if you're watching online right now. I adore you. I pray for you. And I also pray for fellowship for you. Because just watching online is not fellowship. It's actually something that cannot happen digitally. We're going to talk about that sooner. This being broadcast is a blessing, and it's helpful, and I get it, and we're going to keep doing it, but it doesn't replace fellowship. We have to become obsessed with fellowship, and if you're not able to be in person, you have to intentionally build engagement and fellowship into your weekly routine, knowing that just watching from the live stream is not it. Or just coming to the building and watching from a chair is not it. And so we're not throwing stones to people at screens. What about those of us that just come 
we sneak in and then we sneak out. What, what about those of us that never connect with anybody else in the body of Christ between worship services? That's not participation. That's observation. Another interpretation, another word, is contribution. In other words, not only are you participating, not only are you involved with what's going on, but you are giving something of yourself to it, to this body. That fellowship, when I'm offering something, I'm contributing not only to the conversation, but to the action and the activity and the vision and the dream. When I start contributing, now I'm in fellowship. It means engagement. That's why I keep coming back to the, the marriage thing. We're engaged. We're locking arms to move a certain direction. Will you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. Engaged, right? Now we're in this thing together. And I'm, I'm clicking and I'm moving and I'm serving and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm shouting and I'm praising and I'm reading and I'm going and I'm giving and I'm doing all kinds of stuff because I'm engaged in this thing. It means sharing. That, that comes specifically out of Acts too. We're going to see that more in a moment. Uh, what's mine, brothers and sisters at Branch Life, I mean this deeply and fully, is yours. What's mine is yours. My house is your house. My, my truck, my truck is your truck. My dog, your dog. My kids, your kids. Would you please help me with my kids? I cannot do this on my own. I mean, Will got an alien costume the other day, and he's hardly taking it off. I mean, we need serious intervention at the park household. I need to share. What's my pain is your pain. What's your pain is my pain. What your joy is my joy. Except if you're a Dallas fan. I'm not sharing in that. Amen. And then two other made-up words, because there's just not English words for it. Each othering. Fellowship is each othering. When we, when we are each othering, right, I am now taking the other person, each other person, and I'm engaging with that person so that their needs, desires, goals become paramount or accompany my needs and desires, and our needs and desires together become each other's. And we start each othering through life. And we start grasping what it means to do life together. That's fellowship. And withness. Withness. We begin practicing the, it's not an art, the, it's the commitment, it's more than a commitment. We begin practicing being with each other on a regular basis. Withness. Doing life Together with one another. Take all of these words and kind of mix them up and, and, and scoop them around and mush them together, and you get koinonia. This is what spirit empowered people are obsessed with. This is what spirit empowered people are devoted to. Look at this word show up in John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you want to do a deep dive into fellowship, go to John chapter 1 and read chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's going to give you a lot of theology on fellowship. 
A lot of the principles that I share come from here. But what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. What, what did John see and hear? Jesus. He saw Jesus resurrected. He saw the miracles. He saw the crucifixion. What we have seen and heard, what Jesus taught us, what he showed us, we, have, we proclaim to you the truth of the apostles, the apostles' teaching, so you too may have fellowship, companionship, each othering, witness with us. Our goal is to know Jesus so that you can come with us and know Jesus too. Because Jesus says, when you connect to me, you will have life and life more abundant, right? He wants to give us eternal life, and he wants to give us abundant life. What's the best life you could possibly live? Not your truth, but Jesus' truth, right? I'm wanting to live the life that Jesus gives, and he gives the best life. I love, love following Jesus. I, Josh Park, love following Jesus. It's fantastic. It's a blessing. It brings joy and peace and happiness to my life today. The, the person that I married loves following Jesus. It's a passion of hers. And it drives her to gladness and service and companionship. And my wife is a better friend to me and to my neighbor because of Jesus than she could ever be. And I love that we have a family that does that. I love that we have a church that wants to follow Jesus. And what we have seen, I've seen Jesus. I proclaim Jesus to you. Now, come with me. Come with me and let's do life together and we will follow Jesus together. And our fellowship is with the Father. Our each othering, our witness comes from the vertical, comes from being attached to the vine. Because I fellowship with Jesus, we can now fellowship together. True koinonia with the Father brings koinonia with one, one another. When I know and follow and love Jesus, I will know and follow and love you too. So that's, that's, that's fellowship. This is why. So are you getting it? Why we do fellowship a disservice when we say bring to the potluck and chit-chat for a while? Let's, let's, no, let's do more. You're not ready. Let's do more than that. Let's do more than that. And then, then, then our joy will be complete. You see, God didn't just say, hey, come hang out with Jesus and your joy will be complete. You get that? There's, there's something that happens when it's with the body of Christ. We have been designed to be together following Jesus. Then our joy is complete. Christianity is not a solo endeavor. The church was designed to bring us together. That's the point. That's why the truth came first, and then the togetherness came right away. Next, next word was fellowship. Yes, I need to read and study the Bible, but I can't do it alone. I need to follow Jesus with other people. So what is fellowship? Three, three layers. First, fellowship is being a part of a group or a body of people. Yep, it means you're a part of the group or the body. But that's where most people stop. They stop at that first level. Are you a part of Branch Life Church? Yeah, that's step number one. You're a part of the body. You're regular. You're here. It's, it's who you are. Second, fellowship is then contributing and sharing and having all things in common. Then, partnering together as a team. 
where would the Phillies be today without Bryce Harper? Right? You understand what happened? They were behind twice, and twice he hit a home run. Twice. Twice. Isn't that awesome? But he couldn't have done it by himself. There were the other guys on the base. He scored two runs. They needed all ten. Right? It takes a team. The team is, is who we are together. That's why we don't say, hey, just become a member because it's deeper than membership. We say become a team member. Because teams have coaches. Teams have plays. Teams have vision. Teams have goals. Teams have unity. Teams are trying to get the same thing done and accomplish it together. And so we lock arms and we train and we get on the field. And we don't just sit back and observe and watch. We are a team. That's fellowship one with another. So what are you contributing to the team? What, what do you, this, this is not a guilt trip question. I'm not trying to say, have you not been giving anything to the team? This, don't, don't hear me say this. Hear me say this. You have something amazing to contribute to the team. Maybe you have the bat of, of Bryce Harper. Maybe you have the mitt of the catcher. Maybe you have the arm of the pitcher. Maybe you have the strategy of the coach, or maybe you're just the doer of the manager. Maybe you're the guy that brings the water out, makes sure everyone gets it, or you put the tar on the bats, right? I don't know what your ability is. I don't know what your, what your gifts are. I don't know what they, but when you contribute them, man, we're a better team. So what are you contributing to the team? What are you giving? What are you sharing? What are you offering on a regular basis as much as you possibly can because you're obsessed by it? What are you pouring into another person? Who are you each othering with? Who are you witness? And how have you been contributing? Because, hey, we need to have all things in common. If you look in Acts chapter 2 and go down to verse 42, well, I'll just read 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together witness. And had all things in common, each othering. And all who believed were together had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to those, to all as any had need. They said, hey, it's not mine. It's ours. And so now I'm obsessed with my physical being, my gifts, my talents, my stuff, my possessions, in having them in common with the body of Christ. Second question, first, what is it? Second question, why do we need it? Now, this is super important. I wish I wasn't going to race to this, but I am. Why do we need fellowship? First reason we need fellowship is because we need protection from attack. In, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you've watched any documentary on the African plains, you see that the little gazelle or the water buffalo that gets separated from the pack, what happens to him? He gets attacked by the lions, and they eat him, right? Because, because he, now, when the, you see the elephants, right, when they herd up, right, and they kind of like, they, they ears come out, and the trunks, and they get the little ones in the middle, and they are all surrounded, all of a sudden, lion's got no hope. Lion can't do nothing. Why? Because there's a pack in the way. There's a herd in the way, and they are protecting each other from attack. One of the main purposes of fellowship is protection. Because if you try to fly solo, the devil will attack you. If you say, I don't need the church, you don't understand fellowship. You absolutely, desperately need the church for protection, and you need 
to be in the part of the church to help protect others. So, so, so big a deal that a Hebrews chapter 13, 12, 12 and 13 says this. Chapter 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, any of, lest, let me start again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from living, loving God. But exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it's called today. The author of Hebrews is giving us a roadmap to fellowship. And because of the evil that's out there, and because of the evil in our hearts, how do we combat those two things? Number one, we take care of each other. Take care of your brothers. Take care, brothers. Care. Do you care for the other people that are a part of the family of God? Take care. Care. And talk. Exhort. Speak. Have conversation. Correct. Rebuke. Encourage. Care for one another and speak to one another as long as it's called today. It should be a regular daily rhythm in our lives to be involved in fellowship with other believers. Not to the exclusion of being light in this world, but so that we can be a better light and a stronger light because we're better together. The, the second reason we need protection is we need protection from persecution. We need protection from persecution, and as an American church, we probably don't understand this need very well. Because our idea of persecution is getting up too early for the morning service. Pastor, how dare you set the service time this early? Oh, my life is so hard. You went 10 minutes long. I'm such a persecution. But that is not what's happened around the world. Most Christians in most generations and in most countries would die to have the freedom that you have to worship early and stay late. To be able to gather together, free from harm, free from threat, to be able to sing to God, to be able to spread the light of Jesus, to be able to hand out invite cards, to be able to carry your Bible, to be able to pray in public. We are so blessed in this country to have freedom to worship. So persecution, I get made fun of, or we have awkward conversations, whatever that might be, is nothing compared to what happened in the rest of the world. And this baby church got persecuted. In Acts chapter 4, they were told to be silent. Stop it. Stop talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, they started putting them in jail. And the church started gathering together, having prayer meetings, not so they could start another service. We're doing that tonight. That's great. They would have prayer meetings so that their leaders would get out of jail. And they needed each other to protect each other from persecution. By Acts chapter 7, Christians were being put to death because of their faith. And by Acts chapter 8, they were scattered out of Jerusalem to the entire world. They needed each other in every single one of these persecution points. They needed each other to survive in these moments so that they could have all things in common, so they could figure out how to live, and not just live, but thrive as a church that then multiplied around the world in spite of persecution. How does that happen? Fellowship is how it happened. They found Christians in every town and in every corner that they called brother and sister, and they had everything in common. The second, the third reason we need fellowship is because we need freedom from isolation. This may be, in our culture, a bigger danger than persecution. 
The danger of isolation has never been more real and more pronounced than it is right now. And I'm talking to you, teenage girls. I'm talking to you, teenage boys. I'm talking to young adults. I'm talking to young parents. Why? Because we have this myth that technology has made us somehow more connected. That is not true. Don't believe for a second that the more likes that you have on a picture means that you have more fellowship. The more friends that you have on Facebook means that you have more fellowship. It is exactly the opposite. It's causing you to disconnect from true fellowship and trade it in for a technical version that's shallow. That's, that's void of meaning. That's a trespass in your soul. And this technology is causing, it's causing a hijacking of your emotions. Why are there so many young people that are struggling with anxiety and depression and discouragement and worry? Because they're constantly comparing their, their lives to the lives they see on the screen. They're, po- they're constantly going, I'm having a great night until I look at my screen and I realize somebody else is having a better night over there and I didn't get invited. And this ping of emotions, happy, sad, worried, anxious, missing out, getting involved, making sure that I'm liked, making sure that I get more likes, has started the stirring of anxiety inside of our souls that doesn't connect us, it isolates us. And we trade in this technical version for fellowship instead of the real thing, which, by the way, is awesome. I'm, like, terrified of the metaverse for this reason. I'm terrified that people are going to start trading in avatar relationships for real ones. And I'm not saying there's not a place for your phone or social media or the metaverse. I get it. I'm I'm a tech nerd. I, I, I like it all. But the moment that it takes the place of a real relationship, you've got a problem. And we have started building crowds where, look at it, you go to a wedding reception, right? And what do most people do during the wedding reception? They get on their phone. They start talking to people who aren't at the wedding reception instead of enjoying the celebration. You go to the Phillies game, and what are they? They got the phones out. Instead of of arms around, cheering on each other. And we we start, even though we're in crowds, we start becoming isolated. And instead of having this, this great companionship, we start talking with people who aren't even there and saying, hey, look at my day instead of, hey, look, let's do withness. Let's do each othering. And what, what fellowship does in the church is it frees us from isolation. It gives you the opportunity to have others to be with, to have things in common, dreams, hopes, serve together. When we come together, oh, we're better. The truth is that social media is not social. It's one of the furthest things from it. And so intentionally, as a culture, we have to put down our media, put down our technology, and look into eyeballs. And have words where we're hearing each other in the same space. Read body language. Fight for something together. Serve somehow together. Grow somehow together. And keep media in its right place. Though we're more connected than ever, we've never been more isolated. Fellowship is the cure 
to that progress. It's a gift from God. And the fourth reason we need fellowship is because we have a better partnership for greater impact. In Acts 2.45, it says that they sold all they have and gave to who in need? Did you remember the verse? Who did they give to need? Who? All. They gave to all in need. In other words, they met all the needs. That's, that blows my mind. And when I look at our friends that are struggling on one side of the river versus the other side of the river, I look at the amounts wealth that we have in Chester County, and I say, what's happening over right on the other side of the river in Montgomery County? How come these billions of dollars over here can't help these thousands of people over there? And somehow, they figured it out as a church that they could take their commonality, their wealth, and they could meet all the needs. Wow. What can we do together? I remember when the fires happened at Ashwood, talking to a reporter, and it was like day two, and we had been receiving donations all day, every day, and it was one of the most beautiful pictures of a community coming together, all of these donations happening, and I said, it was kind of, I, I said to the reporter, I said, it's kind of like taking your hand and trying to hold back a waterfall. You, you can't. You can't do that. But when the church, if we as a church would have all things in common to try to beat needs, it'd be like putting your hand up to stop a waterfall. We couldn't, we couldn't stop it. We couldn't stop the impact that the church can have. And in our culture, in our time, in our history, the church has had an incredible impact when we're together. When we have all things in common to meet needs. And so together we can do more. By the way, thanks for the boatloads of candy last week. We gave it out to an entire elementary school full of kids and we ran out. We ran out of candy. It was awesome. Every kid had this huge bag full of candy. And you know the principal of that school said? Thanks. I couldn't believe all the candy. And I said, we just asked our church and they just threw candy at us. Isn't that awesome? Connection Church down the road donated candy. They heard what was going on. Isn't that awesome? All things in common. Greater impact. Let's keep doing it. That's what fellowship does. So your witness will improve your witness. This is how it works. Your witness will improve your witness. And let me show this to you in John chapter 13, verses 35 and 34, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times did he say love one another? Three. That's a big deal, isn't it? And your witness, your love for one another will be a light to other people. They're going to want to be a part of it. How do I reach my one? Fellowship and love each other and demonstrate what it means to actually be a part of the body of Christ. And when we do that, we figured out the how. We figured out the how. In Acts chapter 2, 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received with their food gladness and generous hearts. You know, you know what they did? They did each othering every day. They did it mega. They did it in big groups. And don't let anybody tell you that the church in the New Testament was a bunch of small groups in the little homes everywhere. There were 3,000 people that got saved in one city. They would all gather together. They had a mega church in Jerusalem. But what did they do in their homes? They gathered together and they broke bread. They did some incredible, they did big group. They had big times together where they were all in listening to the disciples. And then they got together in their homes. They had small groups. They had micro relationships that mattered. There's something about being together and there's something about diving into life on life relationships that completes our fellowship. 
And so we do the big group and we do the small group so that we can be marked with gladness and generosity. Don't miss gathering together for worship and in your group. Don't miss it. How do I have fellowship? How do I do it? You got to be with people. When fellowship is a priority, it becomes a driving reason for gathering. Have you ever seen these, these, these um, videos where the military person comes home and their kids don't know that they're home, and then they turn around and they're like, Dad, you're home, and they hug, and everybody cries, and I cry, and you cry, and we all cry, because like, that's an incredible moment. Why, why did they get together? Did they get together out of duty? If you have been away from the church for a while, do you say, you know what, I need to go hear the sermon because I've missed the sermon no, 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 that shouldn't be the driving force, right? A driving reason for getting together is because my friends are there. My family's there. I've missed my family. They need me and I need them. A driving reason for getting together and worship on Sunday mornings is because of the people next to you. Amen. The people in front of you and the people behind you. They need you. They need to see you. They need to be with you. You need to each other. You need to encourage. You need to lock arms. Very little fellowship traditionally happens in Sunday mornings. At, at most churches, very little fellowship. It's hard not just to do chit-chat. You've got to be intentional, but then that's what the small group is for. And when you check in and when you see how other people are doing, I've got to go to church this morning. Why? Because somebody needs me there. It's not for you, it's for them. And just being together is not fellowship. We also need to show love. How are you really? It's a great question. So, being together is as important as Bible study and prayer. There, I said it. Being together is as important as Bible study and prayer. Being in the same place at the same time. Big, small. It's as important as Bible. So we tell our small groups some, some weeks, just party. Just party. Just have a great time. And other weeks, have Bible study and prayer. It's that, it's that big a deal. Being together isn't itself the goal. Deeper fellowship and love for each other is. So the problem is when people disappear for weeks and months at a time. Most people attend worship services 50% of the time. That's 25, well, 25 weeks of the year. How's your fellowship going? Most people are every other, and they miss at least half of the time. There's, there's a small percentage of people that are in groups compared to who comes to worship services. Branch has a pretty good percentage, but most churches don't. And, and we have problems when we miss for weeks at a time the problem is not the missing of the preaching, although that's a big deal. You can get that online. You can catch up whenever you want. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. The problem is you miss fellowship and you can't get it back. And when you come back, it should be like that military person coming back home. I can't believe you're here. I missed you so much. Like it should tear your heart out to not be able to be here and be with your family. The solution should, no one in your home should ever have to ask, are we going to worship today? Do your kids ask you if you're going to church? Mom, are we going to church today? You know why that's horrible? Because they think you might not be. It's kind of like asking if you're going to go to school today. It's Monday morning, kids, time to get up. Are we going to school today? And every parent's like, it's school. You go to school. It's what you do, right? But somehow, worship has become optional in our homes. So get to a place where no one ever has to ask. They don't have to ask. It's just assumed that that's what we do. We get together because we're family. So are you devoted to the fellowship? Are you devoted to the fellowship? If you are, this is the result. The marks, glad and generous. And the Lord will add to your numbers day by day. Those are the promises that he gives when we're obsessed with these things. 
A church that thrives must be full of people who love each other. So let's close with prayer together. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. We're, we're ending with these two prayers every week. Today, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit strange. Would you raise your hand out towards the person in front of you? You don't put it on them, but just raise it out. We're going to pray for each other because this is a fellowship Sunday. If there's no one in front of you, just pretend. Raise your hand over the person behind you or in front of you. Just stretch it out to the other person and, and pray this silently as I pray it out loud. Our prayer today is, God, may we, and today we stop at the word we, may we together, the family, may we together, the team, may we together, the church, may we together, the partners, may we together, the fellowship, be devoted to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship of each other, to the prayers, and the breaking of bread. And God, may you add to our number day by day those who are being saved. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I hope that was helpful and you learned just a little bit more about what God says the church is. If you're ready to connect with Christ, we'd love to connect with you. You can go to branchlife.church and see the gospel explained. We talked about that in this message. We'd love for you to begin your journey with Christ. We'd also love to encourage you, if you're joining us for the first time or if you've joined us for many of these episodes, you can let us know by filling out your connection card also at branchlife.church. Thanks again for joining us. Check out the next episode. And if this has been an encouragement with you, please share it with your friends. Have a great rest of your day.